Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Hello everyone. I am feeling really good lately. So for those of you who don't know, about a year ago, on June 30th, 2017, Crash Bandicoot The Insane Trilogy Remastered was released on next-gen consoles, and my god, was it a glorious day. So for those of you who don't know, and you can't tell by the sound of my voice right now, I am a huge Crash fan and super nerd. I still have the original classic trilogy and CTR and Crash Bash for the PlayStation 1. I'm just buying the remaster because I'm a huge fan. There's honestly no reason for you to have it, just to have it, all right? So again, the remaster came out about a year ago, and then almost exactly one year later, on June 29th, 2018, they finally ported it to the PC, so now all of us PC players can get a hold of it. So I picked it up. My PC's a piece of crap, so to show you how much of a fangirl I am, I just spent $1,500 on buying a new laptop to pick up the insane trilogy remastered and play it. So now I'm waiting patiently for my laptop to get in so I can waste my life away during the summer playing Crash Bandicoot. Now, fangirling aside, anyone who was kind of following the media around the time of the insane trilogy coming out probably saw a lot of stuff about how it's a challenging game, it's harder than we remember, yada, 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 yada. All the stuff about being a hard, difficult, and challenging game. Here's what I say. When it comes down to the challenge of a game, it comes down to the mechanics. You know, last week we talked about special, unique mechanics of various games. And it's those very mechanics that bring in a game, whether it's going to be difficult or not. Because the mechanics have to work with the player, with the controller being used, the style of the game, the world that's created for the game. All that kind of stuff kind of merges together. And, I mean, they made a big deal, I think, about Crash because he was famous back then, but we've had our fair share of challenging games, you know, in the past decade or even five years. You know, you're looking at Celeste that came out. It's kind of like a Metroidvania-style. Shovel Knight, also a Metroidvania-style game. you got Hollow Knight, Platformer. You're looking at Enter the Gungan, which is a ridiculous bullet hell. And then a lot of people are familiar with Super Meat Boy and the punishment it puts you through as a platformer. But all those games were challenges, but they never hit the media that big as, like, a challenging game. So, you know, why? And that's kind of what I want to look at is this idea of a challenge in a video game just based solely on the mechanics. So let's just, you know, we dig into Crash Bandicoot. I'm a huge fan, so I'm going to kind of just nitpick a little bit here and look at some stuff that was said in the, you know, recently and over the past year about the game. So... You know, I did a bit of digging around, and one of the things that brought up, I was looking at Metacritic, a lot of people write reviews on Metacritic and stuff like that, and this one thing was brought up about Crash Bandicoot being repetitive, and, you know, therefore we got negative review. It It's going to be repetitive. It's a classic platform. I mean, look at something like Super Mario Bros. back on the Game Boy Color. These are platformer games that had themes... And that was that, like, you know, you did the same thing over and over again in various themes. Now, you know, as Mario developed, its themes got bigger and more diverse, yes, but Crash Bandicoot still had themes going for it. So, repetitiveness? I don't know, like, repetitiveness, I think, should you make the game easier, because you're used to doing the same thing over and over and over again. So from there, there's also people bringing up this whole idea of player's fault versus game game's fault, and I just call that a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> 
I okay. So here's the thing about that. It boils down to the cooperation between the player, the controller, and the game. And there's really nowhere to put fault. Like, if you die, you die. That is, that's that. Now, you know, if I press the A button, will I jump? That's the game's job. Like, if you hit the A button, you jump. You know, that's that. It just, if you die, you die. That, that's it. Now, that's in a completed, fine-tuned game. Like, if you die, you die. Now, death by glitches and bugs and stuff like that just simply means the game needs polish and is not finished yet. So, I think, you know, when we come at this, can we discuss a game and say that's challenging and use the argument of, well, you know it's your fault when you died. Well, that's just, that's what it is. That's A finished game, that's just the fact of life. And there's one other thing... I found really interesting, and it, it brings up a good point, was Ferbs.com writing an article, and they brought up this thing about the challenge turning away new fans. Okay, I see where they're coming from talking about this, with the challenge and turning people away, because the way Crash Bandicoot works in the past, it was a challenging game in the past, and the point of the remaster is to just remaster the game with newer graphics and things like that. I feel when you remaster a game, it is to bring some attention to the game series again, but maybe not exactly to buy in a bunch of new fans. So they remade Crash Bandicoot, the trilogy, which was fantastic and phenomenal, and Crash Bandicoot has never been better from that trilogy. Well, that's the point of the remaster. It's to just show what Crash Bandicoot was like during his height, during his moment of greatness. It just happened to be that moment of greatness was a challenge. So for people like me, nostalgia players, people who are picking it up to play it again, you know, we've seen this, we're used to this, we know what we're getting into. For new players, well, they can just see what it is that we enjoy, you know, back in the olden days when we were playing games when we were younger. These new players can be like, okay, what's what's this all about? And if they like the challenge, they stick on, they keep playing it, cool. If not, honestly, you know, right now the game, it's 40 bucks. It's 40 bucks for three games. You're not missing out on much, and... Hopefully, they go further with Crash Bandicoot and making more games inspired by this classic lineup. I mean, they made Future Tense DLC recently with a brand new level for Crash Bandicoot Warped. But in buying in new fans to redo the entire series, I, I don't know. It's I'm just here to replay Crash Bandicoot and just bring up this whole challenge that it provides for people. So... I think the biggest focus here is Crash Bandicoot 1, the hardest game in the trilogy for many reasons. And when they did the remaster, they kind of kept it the same. They tweaked one or two things, like I, I read about that you can die now and still get the gem at the end. The original Crash Bandicoot, if you died, well, you're shit out of luck. You can't get the gem now. You have to restart the whole level. So when I was a wee little lad, I sucked at it. It wasn't until recent in the past year that I actually beat it 100% complete. And I don't care what people say about High Road or Super Climbing or anything like that. Sunset Viesta can go piss off. That is the hardest level for me, and I hate it. That's the thing that kept me held back for 100% for a long time. My God. <sighs> All right. So we talk about Crash Bandicoot 1, the challenge it provides. And then Crash 2 and Warped tweaked the mechanics a little bit and kind of fine-tuned it to make it simpler and peeled back on a few things. So, like, you can still die and get the gem at the end. However, they still do a callback with skull paths on certain levels that to get to the skull path, you must get 
up to that point level without dying. So there's still some homage to Crash Bandicoot 1's difficulty there, but they eased up on it a little bit. Granted, that's not to say the game's cakewalk. Crash 2 and Warped still take some time to learn and beat it and understand all its little gimmicks and its tricks and, you know, things like that. So that's what we can look at. This challenge between all three games, focusing on Crash Bandicoot 1, because, you know, we got a remaster of all three games packaged together. So, perfect. We can easily talk about it. Now, I was watching a video recently, and I thought it brought up a pretty interesting point. So, WhatCulture.com released this video about Crash Bandicoot and its physics. There was a slight change, and I watched a couple of videos about it, and I see definitely what they're saying. So, they use Crash Bandicoot Warped as kind of the cornerstone, I guess you could say. Like They started there, and then when they made Crash 1 and Crash 2 and they remastered it, they used their Crash 3 physics engine as kind of the model. Now, here's the thing. The original Crash Bandicoot, you know, the first one, second one, and the third one being very old, they were very blocky, the, you know, chunky polygons, the hitboxes were jagged, stuff like that. So it was kind of your classic platformer that there were times that you're not necessarily standing on the platform, but you're still on the platform, you know? Because it's all just corners and boxes and stuff like that. But now they've, you know, tweaked it a little bit. They've made it now with the hitboxes is a little more rounded. So what that does is, you know, in the past where the corner of a box with the corner of a box, you know, hitboxes, you'd be fine and stay on the platform. You actually can kind of slip now. So though it looks like you're on the platform, you slowly start to slip because of those round hitboxes that you have going for you. So, you know, we have that going against us with the physics. And also it was an interesting part that, you know, they brought up is for people like me that have played the three games and, you know, know them like the back of our hands, the original trilogy, the physics and the mechanics were slightly tweaked between each game. But now because Crash Bandicoot Warped was remastered first and they used that as a base for the other two games, now we're used to Crash Bandicoot being a little lighter on his feet, you know, in the first game, and floaty, but now since it's designed like warped, well, it's different now. I was actually watching a comparison. I got it backwards. I was watching a comparison in Crash Bandicoot 1. Crash was actually heavier and fell faster, but now he's floatier, I think, if I got that right. So now we have this additional challenge as, you know, players of the past that are replaying the game, but the challenge still stays the same. We're still trying to get through this just ridiculous platformer at times and 100% which takes a lot of work but those slight tweaks for old players will run into a challenge and have some issues with it as for new players I mean it's an access point for new players who are interested in the Crash Bandicoot series they can use the remaster as a chance as an access point to check out Crash Bandicoot but they won't have that additional difficulty you know they have the challenge of just figuring out how to play Crash but they're going to be used to the pill-shaped hitboxes like this is their first experience with Crash so okay whatever you know, they don't have to worry about they're used to the square hitboxes and the jaggedness of it and everything. So I'm really curious. And once I get my laptop later this week, I'm definitely going to be playing so much Crash Bandicoot to really see, you know, what's the change and the difference that they don't with the physics to kind of get a feel for myself. And then, you know, beat all three games one after another and just don't stop. So talking about the physics and the mechanics and all that kind of stuff, I think... Personally, I think it comes down to the controls. So when you use a joystick instead of a D-pad, like Crash Bandicoot 1, you had to use the D-pad only, it's going to mess with your controls. Like, I'm used to using a D-pad, so I have no problem using the D-pad, but people who are used to, like, a joystick in modern gaming, well, that, you know, it's a little more jagged, 
with the D-pad. And then people who played Crash 1 on the D-pad and now they're playing remastered with the joystick, well, it's a lot finer tuned when using that joystick. It's a lot more fluid in your movements and things like that. So when you're used to like kind of this jagged, clunky jumping of like tapping forward to make Crash move, now you're like gently tilting the joystick. So now we're working with this extra layer of the controls being slightly different than we're used to adding on to that challenge. But hey, it's it's whatever. Now, the bulk of this and what drew me drove me up a wall so freaking high, you know, about all this is that Crash Bandicoot is a challenging game and it's the new Dark Souls. First off, stop it, okay? Comparing things like that to Dark Souls about a challenge game, I think is ridiculous. Because when it comes down to it, a challenging game, it's a challenge for its own reason. Again, it comes back to those core mechanics of how the game is played. So Crash Bandicoot is a challenge in one way. Dark Souls is a challenge in a different way. So yes, they're both difficult games, but there's no way you can really put them together. You know, it's like, it's like you know, with fruit, let's say you ate a watermelon and liked it. It's like saying, well, because you like watermelon, you like bananas also. You just, because they're both fruits, you know, because Crash Bandicoot is a challenge and Dark Souls is a challenge. Well, Crash Bandicoot is the Dark Souls. No, it's it's not. Frankly, I love watermelon and I hate bananas. I love Crash and I really can't stand Dark Souls because the way it produces its challenge is completely different than Crash. So you look at Crash Bandicoot. You also look at stuff like Shovel Knight, Hollow Knight, and these other, you know, kind of like 16, 46, 64-bit retro games that are coming out, you know, indie developers. They go back to that core idea of what makes a platformer difficult they set the bar high right away the the rules of the game are set clearly from the beginning first level that's it so like crash bandicoot one you find out right away that if you die you can't get the gem jumping mechanics stay the same you have your spin throughout the game that's it you know how it works okay now there are some tweaks throughout the game now because if a game kept with the same challenges throughout the story, you're going to lose some engagement because you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. So in time, Crash does kind of tweak things here and there in Crash Bandicoot 1. So like in one case, you're used to jumping on the platforms, but in time, in later levels, the platforms do get a little smaller. They add in obstacles that are moving around on the platforms. To go back to my so much joy of Sunset Fiesta... It has platforms that are timed that'll pop out of the wall and then push back in and then pop out again and push back in. Now, there are earlier levels that do stuff like this with like a platform moving so you no longer can use it. However, if you miss the platform, you just fall onto the floor and you're fine. But in the later levels, like Sunset Fiesta and some of the stuff like on the third island with those timed platforms, if you miss a platform, you're going to die because there's a pit or there's an enemy or something like that. So, you know, it, the game does introduce new parts into it that you have to work with, but the core mechanics stay the same of jumping, landing on the platform, jumping, landing on the platform. No problems there. The gimmicks, if you call them gimmicks, are consistent, and they're eased in nicely and then stay present. Changing the challenge a little bit, but not enough to throw you for a loop. So Dark Souls, on the other hand, you know, we're, we're let's discuss just two different challenging games. Looking at challenge, it tackles the whole idea of being difficult in a new way, in a different way. The reason why I didn't, I'm not really a fan of it is you get very few small hints of what you have to do in the story. 
you know, in terms of world building, the characters, the mechanics, how things work, all that, you get next to nothing. Like, I remember when I first started playing, I was trying to find out what do all these numbers mean? What do all these symbols mean on my weapon? What's this? What's that? Like, what the hell is going on? I have no idea what's going on because it doesn't really give you anything. Like, Dark Souls was the first and only game I ever played where next to me I had my laptop open on the wiki so I could understand, oh, that's what it means. Oh, that's what it does. I got it now. Okay. Like, you know, it's... I, I almost had to force myself to have a helping hand to play the game. And that's not so much as a challenge as the game just refuses to give you what you need to understand what's going on, you know? And then another thing of this whole idea of, like, you know, the opposite of hand-holding, it throws you off a fucking cliff and just says, good luck, you know? And then we look at things that to adapt the challenge. So it's not just always the same combat in Dark Souls. They will add things to change the combat a little bit, but it kind of throws you off a little bit. So let's talk about the joys of Anor Orlando halfway through the game. So let's say you finally figure out how the combat works. You understand how armor works. Now, the armor in the game simply says, okay, you have heavier armor. Yes, your defenses are higher. However, you slow down. You don't roll as fast. Things like that. Okay, you know what? That's not too bad. If I'm wearing heavier armor, it's going to be harder to stagger me, so it's fine that I'm not moving as fast. Like, that's the point of me wearing heavy armor. Okay, so now you get to Anor Orlando, and before that, Shen's Fortress. You know what? Let's just turn this into a fucking platformer. So you get to Anor Orlando, and there are sections where you have to go across a very small platform. Now, if you've played Anor- if you play Dark Souls, you know what I'm talking about in the church, and then those two goddamn archers later on. At this point benefits you to remove the armor because you're able to move a little faster your footing is better however if you do that well you turn into mincemeat because of the enemies that are there and you don't get an out from it so here's always like the thing i dread playing through dark souls you get to the church and you reach this point where you have to walk up a very small platform that's you know a little wider than the player you then reach a lip along the building that is as wide as you like, not even any wider. And you have to walk across that lip, get past a tough enemy to then get inside, you know, the building and be fine. Now, the entire time you're doing this, there are two guys who are archers shooting arrows at you. And if one of those arrows hits you, you get knocked down. It does not matter. That will knock you back. And if you get hit at the wrong angle, well, you knock and fall and plummet to your death. So unless you're an expert at parrying or you have something like the force miracle to knock people back, you get just bitch slapped here at Anna Orlando because the game just makes it up. It said, you know, let's peel back that combat and throw a really sick platforming, you know, aspect at you. Now, just before that sends Fortress, there is three moments in that location where you're walking across a precarious bridge and you have to take on an enemy and you have to, you know, get past the enemy to continue. However, in those moments, there is a chance that if you fall, you land on a lower bridge or you hit the ground and you're like, you're alive. You still might die because of the enemies, but you're alive. And Anna Orlando, you, f- you get hit by one of those archers and you fall. Well, that's it. And then after that, after you get past that archer section, that's it. Like, you never have to do any platforming like that ever again. The rest of the game, the second half of the game, you're not looking at any of that. Like, there's a- you can do some optional platforming to, like, take a shortcut. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. So it it's kind of like, it's like I said, it's like a bitch slap. Like, you're not changing the challenge of the game for the rest of the game. You're just throwing in a one-time thing to throw people off and then just peel it away and revert back to normal, having the same gameplay and the same set of rules prior to that moment. And it, I don't think it should be done that way. If you're, you know, you're looking at Crash 
and it's a hard, tough-as-nails game that people say, but it eases those challenges into you. You're, you, know, you get accustomed to it, and then you do better later on because it's still giving you hints of those challenges you overcome earlier. You know, in Dark Souls, after you get past that moment in Anor Londo, there are moments where you're sitting on, like, narrow passages and there are enemies, but you have an out. Like, you can either kill the enemy pretty well because the area is wide enough, or because it's wide enough, you can just walk around them. You know, there are a couple of locations I can think of that I would just bypass this enemy. Like, in the Crystal Cave, the Crystal Golems are running up the giant crystal towards you. I'm like, you know, I don't feel like fighting this guy. Scoot around him and run down. Yes, I am on a narrow passage, and if I fall off the passage, I die. But the passage is wide enough that I can just, you know, squeak by my enemy and I'm gone. I don't have to worry about it. So what was the point of the Anolando challenge? I didn't learn anything from that. I don't have to utilize anything that happened there. So what was the point of that challenge? For challenging people, it has to, you know, come back and you have to learn from it and use that experience. Now, you know, I'm not sitting here to tear apart anything. I'm think it's important that if people are going to be making this comparison especially it hasn't happened lately it the trends kind of die down especially with dark souls remastered coming out but if we're going to make these comparison between games and say that this game is like this game because it's challenging well how like what are the relations between it is it just because it's aggravating well you know if a game's just aggravating can you really relate it to another game that also aggravated you like honestly league of legends aggravates the shit out of me. I stopped playing it because it was so aggravating and annoying. But I don't go saying that Dark Souls is like League of Legends because I get pissed off playing it and I die from some ridiculous reason like I did in League. I'm not going to make that comparison because they're both aggravating for completely different reasons. And some people have the patience for League of Legends. I don't. I simply don't. Some people don't have the patience for Crash Bandicoot. I do. I got no problem. I will sit down and play that game 24 hours. I got no complaints about that. So... The core here, the thing at the center of this discussion about a challenging game is that the idea of a challenge is changing. And that's it. So let's shoot back to original Crash when it was first released on the PlayStation 1. And then let's go before that. Back, I'm looking at the SNES, Sega, you know, that 8 and 16-bit era, and maybe a little bit of the 64 era also. They all had a common element. They lacked gameplay variety. In terms of, you bought the game, it was a single-player game, maybe it had a co-op element to it, but that's all it had. It's you played through the story as the main character, and that was it. There was no real multiplayer, there was no DLC, there was nothing else that was getting added to the game. When you picked the game up from the store, you got the whole deal. Nothing else was going into that game. So, games had to be difficult, because, you know, let's say we make a game way back when that was an easy cakewalk, what are you getting out of it? What are you getting out of your money? What's keeping you invested in this game? If it's a cakewalk that you can just get through, there was only one thing the game had going for it, and that was the game itself. The only opponent you had playing that game was the game itself. So it had to step up its game and come forward with, like, here's a challenge that I'm presenting to you. Beat it, and you win, and you're done. Game's over. And if you really enjoy the game, you know you can go back and play it again, but it's going to be the same game. You know, so let's then go forward. You know, you get past the 64 era, and we're looking at, you know, GameCube, PlayStation 2, the rise of the Xbox, even PC gaming kind of shooting up, stuff like that. You know, and then into modern gaming also, you have many, 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 many choices. You know, with the new games that are coming out, you could pick a difficulty. 
you had multiplayer options. Nowadays, a big thing is DLC. And then with the rise of the internet, now you have online multiplayer and some games that are solely online multiplayer. Those arena games, you know, Fortnite, PlayerUnknown Battleground, League of Legends, Heroes of the Storm, like solely multiplayer games. And now when you're doing something like that, when you have a multiplayer game, obviously every time you play, it's different because you're playing with other people. So each match is going to be unique. And each match will have a different challenge because you're playing a different person who's maybe playing a different character or has a different play style they're not used to. So, of course, you're going to keep revisiting the game. Well, there's a new person I'm versing. And then even single-player games, like, you know, looking at Doom and having, I don't know, like, eight freaking difficulties. You can play a game on normal difficulty, beat the game, and be like, you know what, I want more of a challenge. You go back and play it on a higher difficulty. And then a higher difficulty, you know, if you unlock that. You look at an RPG. Well, the RPG, you can make your own character. You can choose a class, things like that. So you play over and over again to check out what the other classes do. Heck, even in first-person shooters, you have some variety. Do I take the assault rifle and go mid-range and support? Do I grab the shotgun and just go guns blazing to my enemy? Maybe I pick up a rocket launcher and just blow everything up. You know, you can approach each level in its own way. And then people set, like, you know, self-challenges, you know, like pistols only or whatever to try the level over again. So all these choices are are presented to us so of course the game might not seem as challenging because we can choose not to take up that challenge now a game like dark souls obviously didn't give you that choice now dark souls had some challenges in addition to like glitches and bugs and other things that added to it which rubs me the wrong way but you get my point with like dark souls and crash bandicoot you're not choosing the difficulty so of course they're a challenge because it just throws you in there like those classic games of old compared to the modern games you know Again, Shovel Knight, Hollow Knight, Meat Boy, any game that is made, even Cuphead, you know, is made in that image of the classic gaming era, they all have the same thing. There is a single story, you must beat the story, and you're not choosing a difficulty. Now, things like Hollow Knight, I believe, have some difficulty to it. Hollow Knight, I think you can choose difficulty, but that's really it. And then Super Meat Boy, you can play through it again as Bandage Girl, which is harder, Shovel Knight, I believe there are some co-op elements to it, so there are a few options. But in the end of the day, it's just the story. There's nothing else. Like There's no online multiplayer that you can access. It's just what the game sets for you. And even the arcade era, and there's still arcade games nowadays, you see that there. Like You put your quarter in, and what are you doing? You're putting your quarter in to play the same game over and over again. I remember me and my buddies spending hours at Dragon's Lair trying to beat it. It's a challenging game because you have to react to what's going on the screen, but since that's all the game has for you, we learn from it because we're seeing the same cutscenes over and over again, but it's still tough trying to remember what we have to do. That's the challenge presented to us. The game set forth this mechanic of, you want to win the game, you need to react to what's going on. And since that's all I have to offer you, you're going to be really quick with your reactions and remember them. That's how we get replay value out of a game, and that's how we get the challenge of these games. So... I mean, you're, you're playing these games over and over again, and you're driving yourself mad playing them, but you need to persevere. So for anything, the key to playing a difficult game is exactly that. If you enjoy the game, you'll persevere. If you really want to beat that game, it does not matter the challenge it sets before you. You will continue playing it, no matter what. So Crash Bandicoot and Saint Trilogy, nostalgia players like myself, I can walk through that game, beat it in less than a day, get all the collectibles and everything without breaking much of a sweat. I know the game like the back of my hand. It's muscle memory. 
And that's the thing. If you enjoy a game enough to keep playing it over and over and over and over again, it's going to be muscle memory. You're going to know exactly how the character works, how the physics engine is going, where everything's hidden, all that stuff. You're going to know it. All right? So the remaster technically is a new game. However, it has a new engine and some new graphics to it. So working around that, our muscle memory is going to kind of betray us a little bit because we have to just modify ourselves based on the engine it provides. You know, but we will push ourselves. And it's for anything. I'm talking Dark Souls, Crash Bandicoot, Cuphead, any game you find challenging. Even if it's a game that you can choose a difficulty and you decide to choose the highest difficulty, that perseverance is going to see you through it. It doesn't matter what mechanics the game throws at you or what it does to trip you up. If you want to beat it, you're going to make it work. All right? So don't worry about comparing a game to another game as being a challenge. Don't worry about blaming the game or blaming yourself for dying. It's you versus the game. And you just have to ask yourself, do I want to win? And if you do, it does not matter. You will get there. So thank you all for joining me this week. Now, I just want to throw out once more a reminder announcement about next week. So coming up next week, July 8th, we are having a Frostgrave demo day. So Frostgrave is a wonderful fantasy tabletop war game. It's really easy to learn but it takes a while to master. So if you've ever been interested in trying out a war game, but you weren't sure where to start, come on by. We're located at New Brand Gaming. It's in Brooklyn. So if you can get to Brooklyn easily, we're over by like the Sunset Park area. You know, come on over. Say hi. We'll have everything provided. We'll have character sheets ready. We'll have minis ready. We got tables. We got terrain. All you have to do is bring yourself. I'll be there. A bunch of the guys from the NYC Frostgrave crew will be there also to show you how to play. And if you enjoy it, you know, sit down, with us, learn a bit more of the game, join the club, have some fun. We'll be giving out little prizes for anyone who comes, so definitely swing by. Again, it is next week, July 8th, from 12 to 7 p.m. If you're interested in more details, hop on Facebook and look for Frostgrave Demo Day. It's a public event. Just say that you're going or shoot anyone a message in it. People will respond and help you out. All right, and with that... Everybody, thank you for joining me. Enjoy your week. Until next time. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.